So in this uh, retreat, we've decided to, um, instead of um, what we do on, uh, often on retreats, is to uh, give instruction in the morning, let people practice in silence all day, and at night give a Dharma talk. So some of you might uh, be uh, used to that format. And here we decided with Tanushka to actually uh, talk about practice uh, several times during the day and not have uh, the one-hour talk in the evening. So the same uh, kind of stories or the same material should find its way uh, all through the day. I hope it works for you, and it might actually not. <laughs> no, but it's really, this is life there, you know. And we'll be interested uh, to know in the end, you know, in the evaluation form, it's actually something we take care of and, and look at, but that's the format we're using this time. Um, also, uh, I wanted to say some of the questions that are a were, were asked on paper, uh, put on notes, um, we tried to answer maybe inside these instructions and these talks, like so we are impressed by these questions and try to, but also there's such value to actually sit with a question, you know, and not get an answer too quickly, but sit with it for ourselves and see how maybe the question arises and the answer follows later, or the, the question arises and drops. It becomes a non-question anymore, you know. So uh, that's also part of what's happening here in this uh, valuing of silence. It's a valuing of silence and space. Uh, so 20 years ago uh, this year, I was, um, uh, I learned that I was HIV positive because I was 25. And uh, it was actually a, a, a pretty difficult situation for the young men that I was, pretty uh, confusing and stressful. Uh, it, it took about a year before new drugs came in and the, uh, the experience of being HIV positive changed for uh, many of us. So I was on the tail end of the most, maybe most difficult part of, uh, of uh, that epidemic for uh, many of us in the Western world. So I don't know if I'm saying this right, but I think you can get what I'm saying. That in a way I was lucky, but I, it was not too clear to me at that moment that I was lucky. Um, there was a lot of uh, confusion and con definitely a lot of confusion, a lot of fear, a lot of, uh, uh, yes, yeah, some shame and uh, distress, uh, grief. Uh, many difficult emotions were there. And I remember I went to, I had a, a drama teacher, not Dharma, but dra actually Dharma, but dr <laughs> hidden in a drama teacher. <laughs> Um, he was American, and, uh, and I went to talk to him. Uh, I confided in him uh, the distress I was in, and, uh, and uh, he, said, uh, he said to me that when he was a young man, maybe uh, my age or younger, he had found himself in the Korean War as a, as a young person, and he said, some of the things you're telling me are some of, this is how I relate to it, you know, like, uh, confusion, uh, 
like not being able to read what's actually happening, how to deal with it, and, and uh, not feeling like he had the tools to actually survive. And, and he said, and I remember my mind was, uh, was not a good friend, you know, my mind was... Uh, and he said, what really helped me was, to, uh, was sensory awareness. Like I really put a lot of uh, attention into feeling and seeing, especially for him was seeing colors. He said, I, I would give my, say, okay, for the next hour, I have to see everything that is red. I, I want to notice everything that is green, you know, and uh, like he said, it was too dangerous to be in my mind with my thoughts, so I needed to get a grasp of reality. And to me, this were the first um, instructions of meditation. That's how, in a way, meditation practice started with me. Because after that conversation, I remember walking on the street and being assailed by all this confusion, unclarity and uh, fear, and, and just thinking, can you actually know that you're walking? Can you know that you're walking? Can you feel your step? Can you feel your step? And so that was a a way to ground myself and uh, um, get like, some kind of grasp of the reality a little bit. Maybe find a new way to relate to thoughts and uh, to be with uh, difficulties. I feel like uh, that's what we're partly teaching here, is uh, can we actually feel the world and get outside of... Um, we often live in the trance of thoughts about me and what's going to happen to me. And I've said that already, but to actually land here again and notice what's happening here. Lately, by doing this uh, practice, I've noticed something that is, um, yeah, touching for me. I notice that when I take off, it might be the same for you, maybe not, but Often the kind of the central point is a certain moi, you know, moi in the future, moi, me in the past, I. It's kind of the measuring, what is the absolute measuring unit, you know, everything is in reference to, to this thing, you know. Um, so you might recognize something else. Maybe you think obsessively about somebody else. You, maybe you're codependent. So instead of thinking about yourself, you keep thinking, oh, what would this person say? What would they think? What do they do? You know, and you, your mind keeps going to somebody else. That's about the same <laughs> kind of uh, neurosis. Um, and as I came back uh, one time, as I just came back here, suddenly the realization I had was, wow, when I'm thinking of Pascal, I'm actually completely ab abandoning Pascal. I'm creating a Pascal, some Pascal of the past or the future, or possible or could have been, and there's a complete disregard for life here now. That's the feeling I had. I don't know if you can, if you can relate to this, right? Like I create some story and I hang out while wow, there's full of life happening here. And I dismiss it. And to me that's um, been a kind of an incentive to stay around. The sense I have these days, there is life here. What, am I 
attending carefully to this life here, like I can take off in all kinds of directions of possible worlds or happenings, but there's life here. And again, as I was saying earlier, to me it's becoming really clear now that it's actually not going to be forever. This, this life here is happening and it's, we actually don't know what's going to happen to it, when it's going to end. It's extremely precious. In the old uh, teachings, there's this image that I... Um, there's an aspect of it that I like a lot, a, s- a series of images. Uh, or actually, one image is... Uh, I bring this back all the time when I teach because I think it's useful. You imagine on a rope, uh, six animals being tied up to the same rope. so an elephant, um, a dog, a snake, uh, crocodile, an eagle, and uh, a he, hyena. (laughs) (laughs) And the elephant wants to go in the jungle, the Snake wants to go in the grass, the dog wants to go to the city, the hyena to the charnel grounds, the eagle in the sky, and uh, this... Anyway, you see the picture. (laughs) I always felt six is too much of a list for me. I can barely do with two, you know, six is... But they all want to go in their own direction, and often when we're uh, sitting in meditation, that's what happens, you know, there's one little sensation in the knee, and then we, took, we take off, you know. Oh my God, what's going to happen? And then we hear a song, Oh, I wish I lived next to frogs, frogs, you know. And then, you know, we'll have a, little, a thought crossing the mind, you know, about something. Oh my God, next week. Oh my God, next week I have to replan all this thing again. You know? And so we keep like... Uh, and in this image, the, the, you know, if they're all on the same rope, like this, the six senses are like that, you know. It's a mess, you know, and these animals, they're going to hurt themselves, you know. If they're going to be live together, the best thing to do is to give each one a post, cut the rope, give each one in this location here, you know, its little place, and learn to actually care for it, learn to attend to it well. So that's what we do here. We sit, and once we, when we hear, we just stay there with this contact. Instead of taking off, we stay with hearing. We attend to hearing. And if there is a sensation, we learn to attend to it, not kind of take off with it, stay around and feel, feel. If there's an emotion, we learn to attend to it, not like, oh, it shouldn't be like this, just, oh. Uncertainty, uncertainty feels like, oh, calm, calm. What is the texture of calm? What is the, the experience of calm? Joy arises. Doubt. Oh, <coughs> doubt. What's this doubt? What, not what's this in terms of thinking about it, but in terms of feeling it, allowing to be felt. The, whatever it is, you know, if it feels like, oh, to feel this, oh, oh it feels like that. Yeah. And so the same with thoughts, and I think Nushko was talking about this this morning. And so I want to talk a little bit about uh, uh, 
more about the thoughts, the realm of thoughts. Okay, so the images of the animals. There's another image that the Buddha used uh, for thinking, which for the whole like, kind of inner life, maybe, that you might relate to. He uses the, uh, the um, image of uh, the banana tree trunk. That's also one of my favorite teachings of 20 years of practice. This one keeps returning all the times, accompanying me on the path. And he says, mental formations, mental formations or heart formations, you know, like emotions, uh, stories told, are like banana tree trunk. Banana uh, trees make big uh, leaves, no? Huge, beautiful green leaves and flowers and uh, um, fruits. Big production. Very, uh, you know, when it's there, it's really there, right? And what happens to it is it does its thing, and then there's no core. It's not a real tree. It's a herb. It's grass. There's nothing to the core of it. It just does its production, and then it falls on the ground, and uh, it's composted. And as we sit here, isn't that what we experience? Suddenly there's like (gasps) this production of something, some banana production of the future, you know, and there's a huge leaves and flowers and, I, and it's three-dimensional because we feel it and it, you know, like it's not just two-dimensional, it's like it's felt all over, like heart pounding and visions and impressions and, and then it does its thing and suddenly, oh, wow, t- ten more minutes to go, you know, it's, <laughs> that thing is gone, yeah? And, we, and we're invited in this practice to really pay attention to this, to wake up kind of in the middle of that, these productions, instead of being entranced again, to follow it, to believe it, to just say, wow, look at that, amazing world is being created, the world of insufficient moi. You know? Or as a Zen teacher says that I love me, this turd at the center of the universe. You know? And totally engage with this and at some point just this drops and suddenly what's left here but just the cool wind or not much you know just space and silence you know until there's another kind of production that arises and so here that's why we don't do much we're not too busy because we want to actually see this pass by see these productions arise, do their thing, take us, take the whole body with it, with them, you know. And so there are these six animals, these uh, six senses, And we try to see if we can become really aware of one of them when it's happening. So when there's hearing, not too much to quickly go towards the story that follows on hearing, but stay at the point of contact. Do you see what I mean by that? Like stay with the hearing instead of taking off a story about it. But stay there, stay around. If there's a sensation, 
may be disagreeable, see if you can actually stay around, stay there, allow it to be alive and be known, be met. We talk about intimacy here, like coming closer to things, not putting right away the veil of uh, uh, stories or the veil of preferences. I don't want that, I would prefer that. Let me stay here and feel this. With thoughts, the the practice is to uh, not so much go into the content, but be aware of the process, the arising of thinking. That's a kind of, uh, can be very interesting, and it might not be interesting to you, and it might be, because we're all different and at different places and different fields of interest, different personalities and types, but it might be a field that's going to be interesting for you to see the arising of a thought, not so much what it says, but the birth of it, or what happens to it after it's been thought. What happens between two thoughts? What is the charge of a thought? Some thoughts, you might have seen at this point, that some thoughts are kind of uh, in the background, like radio stuff in the background. You know, you hear, it's commenting, but it's kind of light. And some thoughts are really like, you must now, you know, it has a charge to it. So in meditation, the mindfulness is that we want to become aware of the charge of a thought. Is that like a serious one or not? You know, is it light or heavy, sticky is one word that people use sometimes in the term, or seductive, like it really takes me, like I really get into it. So it's a, in a way, it's a strange practice because usually, um, you know, when you go see a movie, the movie's projected on the screen and we're invited to get into it. No? No, don't open the door! Don't open the door! You know? <laughs> and we get into it. And it's like if somebody was coming to say, you know, next time you watch a movie, try to remember it's light on a screen. Like, no, I'm not going to pay $11 to remember it. I pay $11 to get into it, you know, to feel it. And here we're saying, can we be aware of the process of thinking? Because it's a funny little thing that we can easily get fused with, identified, entranced by, fascinated by, caught, captured by, you know? And there's a way that we can actually recognize the arising of a thought and its disappearance. It's, it's, uh, it can be interesting. And maybe we'll play with this a little bit and see what, uh, what happens to it. And maybe we might start to notice how we, the mind, with its thoughts, creates worlds. How it's, uh, it's easily associative, no? One thought of a certain kind will bring, you know, you have a certain emotion, it will just go through the album related to that kind of emotion. It will bring memories of the past, projecting the future, everything that's related to that. If you're hopeful, joyful, it will keep, you know, offering, oh, and back then, and this and that, until it turns, you know. Whoops, and then it will go in another direction for a little while. So we can be aware of this. Are the thoughts produced by emotions or are emotion producing the thoughts? Or are they feeding each other? 
And what happens when we bring mindfulness in? Or if you don't like that word that's becoming dry for you, for having seen it too many times now and on websites and promotion things and workshops <laughs> and at the workplace and the hospital and education. And you can think of uh, just care. What is it? What is it like when we bring care to a process? Because Maybe you're sitting here and you think this bringing attention is very passive. And actually, I think I wouldn't describe it as passive. I would describe it as actually very, very participative, if that's the word in English. Very active. Because when you bring in the field such a powerful quality, it's not like the field is there of misery, let's say as we experience sometimes, no? this misery, and I bring in careful attention. It's not like it stays like this. I'm introducing an element in there that is going to start making everything move. It's, very, uh, it's having an impact. It's in there. It's not outside of it. It's, it's coming in. So maybe we uh, let's let's play with this a little bit or explore this. Maybe the word play is not uh, doesn't sound right to you today. Maybe it does. So I invite you to find your posture. Maybe notice, discover that there's a body here. It's sitting. It's feeling like this, just like that. And see if it can be okay that it's exactly like this right now. If it can be allowed to be like that. the general state of the body like this, and the breath also, just like this, tight or smooth or free or not. Can it be okay that it's like this right now? Maybe you can sense, become aware of the kind of inner landscape, the, the tone in there, the ambiance in there.
and see if it can be uh, known just like that. It might be uh, spacious or gloomy. I don't know if it's an actual English word. I think it is gloomy or anything else, foggy or light or... heavy, or whatever, can that be allowed? Can that be uh, known? As you sit here with uh, this body alive as it is, in this inner life, taking, manifesting in this way, See if you can uh, catch the next thought that will arise. And what form does it take? Is it spoken or heard? Or is it an impression, like more visual? Does it last just a moment or does it stay? Maybe you'll catch the next one. It means becoming aware of it as it's uh, arising, bur- being birthed, appearing. Maybe you'll catch it a little later down the road, after or during. What happens, what's there between thoughts? You might recognize some types of thoughts like coaching or narrating or planning or fantasizing or rehashing or rehearsing. Or the absence of thoughts.
you might notice the charge. Some thoughts maybe are light or appear to be light, and others appear to be more heavy or intense or important. Or enticing. Are they received or emitted again? Or both? Who emits them or receives them? Don't think about this too much. Answer. There is an answer through awareness through experience. If it gets confusing, just come back to breathing or hearing or hands resting, those experiences. Take a couple of uh, conscious breaths, aware of in and out breath. And if you want, you could, uh, we're going to uh, explore this a little bit here. If you want to join in, you could think this sentence, I am, and then put your two names there, your full name. I am so and so, and I am sitting here now. Think consciously this thought a few times. Just feel into it. Feel it. What is it like to think? I am so and so and I'm sitting here now.
slow it down, maybe leave a little gap between each word and see what, what's alive there, what's the texture. in the gaps. If you want, think again uh, this sentence, but drop the last uh, bit. Keep just the first part of the sentence, I am so-and-so. Say that if you want a few times, consciously. And think it again and drop the family name if you want. How does that feel? Think of this sentence again, but without um, your first name. Just the two first words of the sentence. Drop the verb. If you want, even drop the first word. Allow awareness to be aware for a few minutes here, alive in this uh, relative silence.
might notice uh, how thoughts create inner worlds. You might also, with attention, with awareness, become more aware of the ephemeral nature of thoughts, impressions, how they arise and pass. So, maybe even those that are heavy, serious, painful, they might reveal their ephemerality or lightness at some point. If for the next few minutes you can have some uh, buoyancy of heart and mind, allowing thoughts to arise, be known, and pass. Not running off with them, not getting entranced, Staying quiet, stable, maybe, if possible, if the conditions are right. When we identify with thoughts, often it's a little bit more, there's more struggle around. If I take them to be mine, or said by me, or heard, said to me, it gets a little sticky. See if you can allow thoughts to arise and pass, be heard and pass. without too much uh, identifying or fusing with them.
the Buddha compared the body to foam by the ocean, changing shape with each wave. See if you can recognize that experience of the body bubbly, alive, feeling like this now in this configuration of the legs and arms. And later, maybe while walking, a completely different experience of the body. The body like foam, images, impressions, perceptions, <coughs> of the mind compared to mirage. Time appears long or short. This person appears as a friend, an enemy. I appear to myself as worthy or unworthy. Appearances, mirage. He compared the experience uh, of pleasure and displeasure to bubbles. You taste something, there's a bubble of pleasure, and then it disappears. Unpleasant thoughts cross as the mind. And here a bubble of displeasure passes by and bursts, pops. And the mental formations, the formations of the heart as banana tree trunks. Alive and then vanishing. See if for a few minutes more you can allow this dense display of elements and phenomena.
Thank you for your uh, practice and for your attention. Anything that you noticed in the exploration, maybe around the thoughts and thinking as you were trying to catch the next thought arising or what was there in the gaps or with the sentence that we reduced to its most simple expression. Anything that stood out or is intriguing or confirming? Yes? Yeah, please, go ahead. We'll come back. What I um, was really aware of is when I dropped my last name and it was just my first name. It was a whole different experience of who I was. And then when I dropped my first name, I saw stars. I saw like the universe. It was like fireworks or something. Hmm. Not fireworks, but you know. So dropping the family name, uh, suddenly there was a whole other experience of cell and dropping the first name, suddenly stars uh, appeared. And so to me it kind of points to uh, our, the way I interpret this is uh, also a touch on our different uh, identities. Huh? We're not always just that one identity. You know, it's, it moves with the family name, some, some, suddenly I'm this, you know. And, like I noticed this in the appearance and disappearance of different phenomena. Identities for me appear and disappear it's in a very interesting way. You know, I notice that I'm not always a son, the son of someone. But sometimes, whoops, suddenly I'm the son of someone. That identity appears, you know, and it, it vanishes. And so uh, in, the, in the teaching it says everything appears and disappears. Notice that and the fluidity of... Uh, of, of this, and is that true, and is that liberating in some way, is that useful for us to, to see, but thank you. Beautiful experience, report, yes. Mm. So, a switch there huh? of perception. So the Buddha is talking about perception, how we perceive ourselves or anything as mirage. So I appear, it might feel so real, how we take our perceptions to be reality. I feel separate, there's me on one side and the world on the other. And then at some point, whoops, that is not so anymore. With just a few instructions and maybe several hours of paying attention, suddenly, whoops, that doesn't seem as true. Uh, suddenly it's a different experience of uh, being, right? Yeah. Maybe coming back to, do you still want to, to share? I do. Yes, thanks. Sorry for that. I sometimes look at my thoughts in, in two different ways. <coughs> differentiate between the working mind and the thinking mind. And I've come to be more tolerant of the thinking mind or the working mind. And we find it very useful at times to let my mind do that kind of processing. But uh, it, it's interesting because here at the retreat, I, I find my mind being a little sneaky. 
And if, if I allow some, some working mind to, to take place, I, I find that that can navigate into thinking mind rather easily. And, and that, it, it's an interesting uh, discipline. Hmm. It, it's uh, kind of a sneaky mind. <laughs> so an experience of several minds, the working mind, the thinking mind, and now the sticky, the, not the sticky, but the sneak, sneaky, sneaky mind coming in. And do, you know, do you know what I mean by working mind, where next week you're planning yeah. what you're going to do, yeah. and it's not, it's not devious, it's, yeah. not, it's not taking you into places yeah. that are negative. So useful. It's useful, actually. Use, useful use of the thinking process, yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, as opposed to the, the mind that says, uh, that's looking at your check, checking account balance, and then it's, it, it basically says, oh, things are a little bit tight, and oh, what if this doesn't happen? You know, then you're not going to be able to pay for that. You know, and then that, that mind, that, that thinking mind is off to the races. Yeah. And that, that's not the part. That so the mind led by fear and worry and how it can, the thinking mind is... Uh, so it's interesting. Yeah. That, 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 yeah. You know, you're not sure exactly what's going to arise. Yeah. And paying attention, we, make, we discern between these different minds and we learn how to maybe to nourish, feed, appreciate one kind and... Uh, uh, you know, abandon the other and not nurture it so much, not feed it so much. Yeah, yeah, really good, thank you. Other sharings? Yes. Sort of, so that felt like a relief. But then when I think about it now, I'm like, so what? What is it then? What's underneath that? Then the sort of the anxiety I then have as a result. What's the last bit? The anxiety that yeah. I have as a result, sort of like what yeah. fundamentally is there? If it's not these bubbles, then what is it? Wow. <laughs> Anushka will take this question. <laughs> It's a, it's a beautiful question, it's a deep one, and uh, so here the report is around uh, uh, how happy you were about the, the bubble image, how it was liberating, that it can allow things to arise and pass, but then the question arises, what's, what's underneath all these passages and movements, what's there? Mm. That's also why we're sitting here and quieting the mind, to actually be able maybe to have an intuition of that, or touch something uh, of that, that uh, uh, yeah, so you, we don't have to hold on to happy, I'm happy, I have to stay happy, I have to control everything because happiness is it, you know, it's like, oh no, happiness will arise and it will pass, what else, what else can, maybe has more duration or value or depth or, I don't know, that's a, that's, that's a great question, thank you for reporting on this. When I dropped the last word of I, it just, I had a few moments of freedom. Hmm. Just that sense of presence. Nothing else. 
Yeah. So dropping the the sentence altogether, there was a sense of presence and freedom that was that was there. Yeah. It's still is it is there still like um, remains of this some something in your heart or in your experience right now some taste of it? Hmm? Yeah. So one way that I understand what we're doing here, it's a different way to frame it, is that uh, we come here and we sit and walk and go eat and do what we do and we keep bringing careful attention, careful attention, and we're doing kind of a, a balancing act, trying to balance the calming factors of the mind. So we're not in agitation, so we calm the mind, we try to stabilize the mind, calm it. So we invite it to relax into the experience, to calm and gather. And then the other uh, thing we're also doing at the same time is we're energizing the mind. We're trying to invite in curiosity. What is this? How does that feel? You know, so the mind is actually alive or intelligent or vivid. I don't know what's the exact word here. But do you see a little bit where I'm, what I'm saying? So we're both inviting some kind of uh, stability, non-reactivity, quietness, calm, tranquility, some, something of that nature. And at the same time, so if there was just this, maybe we would fall asleep, you know? So we're, we're saying, can that be okay? Can, that be, can we relax in this? And can it be known? Can the mind be alive and touch and feel? You know, and if there was just that energy, it might be, like, oh my God, what's happening? What are you know? And so we balance the calming factors with the energizing factors. Mainly, I would say curiosity that can become, uh, in time, maybe joyful curiosity, as it's described. And and sometimes it's really beautiful when the retreatants we describe this, and I hear we hear this as teacher when somebody comes and they say, wow, like I could feel like the discomfort, but my, I was interested in the discomfort instead of being wanting to get rid of it. Suddenly there was something else in the mind that was like, can I actually be there? Can I allow this to be felt? You know, I remember a few months ago one retreatant came in a group and said, wow, I just saw my mind become like kind of self-righteous. I just, and they were excited about it. You know, they were not like, I don't want to be self-righteous, or, or I'm right, you know, caught in the story. They're wrong, I'm right. They were just, I saw that movement. Suddenly the mind became like, I'm right, you're wrong. You know, and they, so they were not taking it so personally. They, they had, this retreatant had put on the Dharma lenses. You know, it was not like, oh, I'm like this. There was not the fusion, the identification. There was just phenomena, the phenomena of self-righteousness. And it was being known, in experience, you know, really in the middle of it. And there was a kind of a joyful curiosity. It was kind of bad news, you know. You discover that you're a kind of self-righteous, whatever the name would, that would follow. You know? and, but it brings just, oh, look at that, that mind, like, just cut, cut this. I'm right, you're wrong. Wow, that was interesting. But it needed also some amount of calm to actually feel feel, not get too discursive about it, or do you see a little bit? So, in our own ways, that's what we're doing here, and it's done, being done very progress, uh, slowly, progressively, 
by just attending to this sitting and seeing if we can allow what is there to be there, and then going outside and continuing, or inside walking, and just keep going. And you do this at your own rhythm, and now it's a walking uh, period, and some of us have groups, and uh, if you do the walking, please walk at the pace that works for you. It's really the pace that keeps your mind engaged, aware. It might be slow moving, and it might be a different speed. What keeps your mind uh, engaged with reality? Okay, thank you so much for your practice. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.